Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, brought to you by nbautographs.com. That's N as in Namath, B as in Bolitnikoff, nbautographs.com. The Game Before the Money podcast. Celebrating pro and college football history, one legend at a time. Hello and welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money. The book, The Game Before the Money, is available on Amazon.com also at Barnes and Noble, and you can also get it at our website, thegamebeforethemoney.com. I also have a new audiobook out celebrating the Love You Blue era Houston Oilers. You can download it at houston79.com. That's houston79.com. This episode is part two of Coach Tom Osborne and Nebraska football. In part one, we covered Coach Osborne growing up in Hastings, Nebraska, his brief NFL career, and his time working under head coach Bob Devaney at Nebraska. Also covered Nebraska's back-to-back national championships under Coach Devaney and the all-time classic Nebraska OU game in 1971. So it's a great listen if you haven't listened to that one yet. And before we really get started, I'd like to quickly interject. You've almost surely heard Coach's name pronounced Osborne as well as Osborne. And from what I understood from his outgoing phone message, Coach actually pronounces his last name Osborne. And so for that reason, I've chosen to pronounce his last name Osborne for these two episodes. Kind of giving you some background on where we're going to start today, the transition at Nebraska from head coach Bob Devaney to coach Tom Osborne. Devaney stepped down after the 1972 season, passed the coaching keys on to coach Osborne, and Bob Devaney had a high level of success at Nebraska, two national championships, no losing seasons in his 11 years. He had become a Nebraska legend by the time he retired. And so when you think about it, that really put a lot of pressure on Tom Osborne as he took over the program. Because by that time, the fans expected a very high level of success. So following up a legend is a tough gig. And historically, programs have a difficult time achieving that same level of success after a legendary coach leaves. You look at what happened when Ray Perkins took over after Bear Bryant retired at Alabama, Terry Brennan at Notre Dame after Frank Leahy, Doug Williams taking over for Eddie Robinson at Grambling. It's really difficult to match the success of a coaching legend when you take over. It's a really tough gig. There are really historically only a few examples of where a coach was able to continue that high level of success after following a legend. Even rarer is when that next coach exceeds the success of the previous legend. But here's a rundown of some of Tom Osborne's accomplishments as head coach at Nebraska. He won three national championships in a four-year span. In his 25 years of coaching the Cornhuskers, they won at least nine games every season. That's not an average. That's a minimum of nine games per season. His last five seasons, he won at least 11 games each year. Not even Bear Bryant can claim a run like that. Now, there's no reason to compare Tom Osborne with Bear Bryant. I always say once you get to a certain level, it's really difficult to compare greatness to greatness and say that one is better than the other. But there is no question that Tom Osborne had one of the best college coaching runs in the history of college football. Now, it wasn't without some heartbreak Nebraska's biggest rival, Oklahoma, 
won six of seven regular season matchups from 1973 to 1980. And adding salt to that wound was that after Nebraska topped Oklahoma in the regular season in 1978, the Orange Bowl set up a rematch between Nebraska and Oklahoma. Oklahoma took advantage of that rematch and topped Nebraska in the Orange Bowl. But as for Nebraska and Coach Osborne being a top-tier college football program and going from that level of success to the championship level of success, Coach Osborne made two major adjustments. The first was a switch to the option-based offense, which started with Jeff Quinn in the late 1970s after Vince Ferragamo had graduated. And let's listen to Coach discuss that move. I'm not sure that that was the whole thing, but the reason we went to more option football was we had we were having such a tough time with Oklahoma, and they they showed us how critical it was uh, and how hard it was to stop the option. And um, in a couple games, we had them on the ropes, and it appeared that we were going to be able to win. And the quarterback would buy some time with his feet and run for a first down, or else uh, buy some time and make a pass critical point, so we, um, prior to that time, we'd had quarterbacks who were more uh, drop-back passer-type guys, and so we began to shift more towards athleticism and speed at quarterback, and I think that, that diversification uh, eventually paid off for us. Nebraska's option really took off in the early 1980s with quarterback Turner Gill. Gill reportedly chose Nebraska in part because he felt Coach Osborne could build him into a better player and person as well. Character building means a lot to Coach Osborne. He created what was called a theme of the week, which taught players that character was important in life and football. We developed something called a theme of the week. So each week it would be a different theme, and it was always a character trait. Uh, For instance, honesty or perseverance or loyalty or self-sacrifice all those kind of things, and we, um, we talk about that uh, every day, that trait, and we give them some quotes from famous people that maybe illustrated that character trait. As time went by, I thought that I was able to detect some of our players kind of buying into the idea that, yeah, there was more to football than just blocking and tackling, and, and that character was important. Anyway, we... We did emphasize it, and we did find that it paid uh, dividends. And I think as time went on, I began to hear sometimes in players' conversations or maybe their comments to people in the press or whatever, some reference to some of the things that we talked about, which led me to believe that it was making a difference. In 1982, Nebraska had a tremendous amount of talent with Turner Gill at quarterback, center Dave Remington, You may have heard of the Remington Award. That's named after him. There were also future pro stars Mike Rozier, Roger Craig, along with wide receiver Irving Fryer, who became the first overall pick in the 1984 NFL Draft. And that 1982 Nebraska team traveled to Penn State on the road, took the lead with just over one minute left. On the ensuing drive, Penn State landed at the Nebraska 2 after a highly controversial catch to tight end Mike McCloskey. It's a play that might have been overturned with today's replay, and Penn State scored on the next play to win. That loss was the only blemish on a season that ended with a win over LSU in the Orange Bowl. Penn State won the national championship, and Nebraska ended up ranked third. Now, a Nebraska win against Penn State likely would have given the Huskers at least a share of the national championship and giving Coach Osborne and Nebraska an undefeated season in 1982. I think you have to certainly have good players, good coaches, but you have to have a little good fortune. Back in 82, we um, had a great team, and uh, we lost one game. That was the Penn State. There was a couple of calls in that game that were a little controversial, and we lost by four points, and then I think Penn State lost. A couple of weeks later to Alabama by three or four touchdowns, and we were voted ahead of them. And at that time, there was no playoff. So um, at the end of the year, they uh, voted uh, Penn State ahead of us. So we uh, didn't win the national championship, but it came down to a vote. And as Coach Osborne said, 
Alabama beat Penn State by three touchdowns, and Nebraska at that point jumped over Penn State in the polls. Both Nebraska and Penn State won out, but Penn State jumped over Nebraska in Week 10 after they beat Notre Dame, and the polls ended up awarding Penn State the title. We'll delve more into how national championships were decided later in this show. But in 1983, Nebraska's title hopes continued. Many starters returned, including the three players who were known as the triplets. That'd be Turner Gill, Mike Rozier, and Irving Fryer. It's also notable that future 49ers star Tom Rathman also played for Nebraska in 1983. And that 1983 Nebraska team finished the regular season at 12-0, and they were the first NCAA football team to score 600 points in the season. That's 50 points a game, my friends. Take a listen to some of these point totals. They started the season by beating Penn State 44-6. They beat Rose Bowl-bound UCLA 42-10. They tagged Syracuse for 63 points. And in fact, that 1983 Nebraska team scored 60 points against five teams. They even tapped Minnesota for 84 points. Those crazy point totals earned the team the nickname, the Scoring Explosion. Rozier won the Heisman. Turner Gill was also a finalist. And at that point, the last time a Heisman Trophy winner and another finalist were on the same team, that was also Nebraska in 1972 with Heisman Trophy winner Johnny Rogers and finalist Rich Glover. In 1983, Nebraska stayed number one from the preseason through the regular season and they went unbeaten and untied. And they owned an opportunity to secure the national championship in the Orange Bowl versus Miami. A win would make them the first wire-to-wire number one since Army in 1945. Things started out rough for Nebraska in the 1984 Orange Bowl. Miami, quarterbacked by Bernie Kosar, jumped out to a 17-0 lead in the first quarter. In the second quarter, Nebraska countered with a trick play famously known as the Fumble Ruski. On that play, quarterback Turner Gill purposely dropped the snap and faked running the option. Guard Dean Steinkuhler, who won both the Outland and Lombardi Awards that year, picked the ball up off the ground and rumbled into the end zone past a confused Hurricane defense for a touchdown. The play worked in various forms throughout college football history, but Nebraska's use in the 1984 Orange Bowl, likely stands as the most memorable example. Osborne speaks of how he discovered the play. Saw it on a high school film. Uh, it looked good, but it's hard to follow, and so we, uh, we put it in. Now, for extra credit, you can listen to the Gene Stallings episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, which I also host. And Stallings used a version of the fumble ruski called the Texas Special as head coach of Texas A&M in a 1965 game against the Texas Longhorns. The NCAA eventually banned the play, and Coach Osborne fills us in as to why. We ran it four times. It worked all four times, and then they eventually said, the officials said they didn't want us to do it anymore, so they passed a rule against it. They couldn't follow the football. That was the problem. Evidently, they just would lose track of the football, and as a result, they decided to hit make it a illegal play. There wasn't anything illegal about it except that I didn't think they could follow it. The fumble ruski helped trim Miami's lead to 17-14 by halftime. Miami pushed back and took a 31-17 lead into the fourth quarter. And by that point, the Huskers had also lost Heisman Trophy winner Mike Rozier to an ankle injury. But Nebraska still found a way to pull within seven in the fourth quarter. And then Miami missed a field goal with about a minute 50 left. Nebraska needed 74 yards for a touchdown. Gill drove Nebraska inside the Miami 30 and then threw a perfect pass and a sure touchdown to Irving Fryer, but the pass was dropped. After that, Nebraska faced a fourth and eight on the Miami 24. Gill ran right and pitched to Jeff Smith, Mike Rozier's replacement in the game. And Jeff Smith, the man with a common name, showed uncommon valor and raced into the end zone with just seconds remaining in the game. That touchdown made the score 31-30 in Miami's favor, and it also set up an historic situation, because at that time, there was no overtime in college football. 
games tied at the end of regulation ended in a tie. Always. It didn't matter if it was the first game of the year or the Orange Bowl to decide the national championship. Even a tie against fifth-ranked Miami would have almost surely given Nebraska the national championship since number two Texas had already lost. Number three Auburn barely got out of the Sugar Bowl in an ugly 9-7 final score. And fourth-ranked Illinois got pounded in the Rose Bowl by UCLA, who you might remember got pasted by Nebraska early in the season. So a tie probably would have given Nebraska the national championship. And Coach Osborne had planned for this prospect ahead of time. He knew earlier in the week that if it came down to a scenario like this, he'd have to go for two points in a win. A national championship isn't something that he felt a team could back into with a tie, especially when words like code and honor have deeply respected meanings in a school's vocabulary. So the Cornhuskers lined up for the two-point conversion and the win. Gill rolled right and threw a short pass to Smith. And Miami defensive back Kenny Calhoun got barely two fingers on the ball, but enough of it to knock it away incomplete. No championship and no 13-0 season. Instead, the senior class's final game was a heartbreaking one-point loss by literally a fingertip. The 1980s were different in many ways. There was no overtime. A coach today could simply kick the extra point and extend the game, even get the ball on the opponent's 25-yard line. Also, there was no college football playoff. In today's world, it would be an easy choice to kick the extra point and go into overtime. Of course, Osborne could have kicked the extra point and probably won the national championship, but... Can you imagine players jumping up and down and fans screaming, rushing onto the field to celebrate a tie? And in some ways, it also might say that, hey, you don't need to fully get the job done to reap the highest reward. You could back down from a challenge rather than confront it and still be a champion. And speaking with Coach Osborne for this episode, I got the impression that he's the type of man who wouldn't want to live in a world where such notions were considered acceptable. And after the game, he said that you play football to win. So he went for the win. Great coaches faced decisive moments in their career. And the end of the 1984 Orange Bowl might be described as a defining moment for Coach Tom Osborne. The moment defined his courage, his integrity, and his values. He likely stands more respected as a coach and a leader by going for two and being denied a national championship than if he would have kicked the extra point and won by default. Miami's deflection of the ball and the 31-30 victory gave the Hurricanes the national championship, jumping them from number five to number one in the polls. And for the second straight year, Nebraska's only loss was to the national champion. Now before that Orange Bowl game, Nebraska had won 22 straight games from October 1982 through the 1983 regular season. The next year's 1984 Cornhuskers didn't have the offensive firepower of the 1983 team, but they still finished in the top five. And that gave Nebraska a 34-4 record in three years from 1982 through 1984. Nebraska stayed a top program through the late 1980s and early 90s, but Coach Osborne decided he needed to make a defensive adjustment to take the team to an even higher level. He switched from a 5-2 defense to a 4-3. So uh, we were basically a five-man front, an odd front, for many years. But we did experiment a little bit with 4-3 defense on passing downs because that gave us some extra coverage. And we played in Oklahoma and not doing very well. And finally, kind of out of desperation, we went to some 4-3 defense and we began to stop them pretty well. And so we thought, well, why in the world are we doing both? We better just go with the 4-3 so it better fit our personnel. And so that's what we did and worked out well for us. In 1993, Nebraska's 4-3 defense helped the Huskers earn their first undefeated regular season in several years. Sophomore quarterback Tommy Frazier made a name for himself the previous season as a freshman, 
leading Nebraska to lopsided wins over ranked teams and into the Orange Bowl. The 1993 Nebraska Cornhuskers returned to the Orange Bowl for a rematch against Florida State. And both quarterbacks on those teams returned, Tommy Frazier for Nebraska and Heisman Trophy winner Charlie Ward for Florida State. Coming into the game, the coaches poll had Nebraska ranked number one and the AP poll ranked Florida State number one. Florida State head coach Bobby Bowden led the Seminoles to several top five finishes, but like Coach Osborne, had yet to claim a national title. The 1994 Orange Bowl between Nebraska and Florida State is remembered for its bizarre moments and a very close final score. Early in the game, Nebraska's Corey Dixon ran a punt back for a touchdown, but a clipping penalty brought the ball back to the Nebraska 23. And just like in the 1984 Orange Bowl against Miami, injuries affected Nebraska's offense. Calvin Jones, the second leading rusher in Nebraska history at the time, left the game with a shoulder injury after only nine carries. Nebraska also lost its leading receiver, Abdul Muhammad, to injury in that game. Still, Nebraska recovered and took a 7-6 lead into the locker room at halftime. And that was a huge statement for Nebraska's defense as Florida State averaged 43 points per game during the regular season. Florida State scored an early second-half touchdown by running back William Floyd, and that was also a strange play as he jumped in the air at the goal line and came down without the ball. Nebraska recovered in the end zone, but officials ruled it a touchdown. Of course, there was an instant replay in confirming calls in those days, and watching it now, the replays really prove inconclusive. But it still was a strange play in a game that would be remembered for strange happenings. After William Floyd's touchdown, Florida State went for two, and Nebraska's Toby Wright dove and made a fantastic deflection to prevent the conversion, and Florida State led 12-7. Later, the Seminoles added a field goal to lead 15-7. On the first play of the fourth quarter, Nebraska freshman Lawrence Phillips broke up the middle for a 12-yard rushing touchdown, and that made the score 15-13. And once again, in the Orange Bowl, on the same field, exactly 10 years after the 1984 Orange Bowl, Osborne faced another two-point decision. He chose to go for it, but the Seminoles chased Tommy Frazier out of bounds before he crossed the goal line. Florida State led 15-13, an odd score in a somewhat odd game. Late in the game, Tommy Frazier bolted through the Florida State defense, gained about 30 yards, and got to the Seminole 9. A face mask penalty put the ball on the Florida State 4. But Nebraska couldn't break through and kicked a field goal with just over a minute left. The Huskers led 16-15. On the ensuing drive, Florida State barely made a fourth down conversion to stay alive. And a mixture of penalties and plays quickly got the Seminoles inside the Husker 5. With no timeouts left, Florida State head coach Bobby Bowden elected to kick a field goal on second down with 21 seconds left in the game. That gave Florida State an 18-16 lead. Miami's Orange Bowl Stadium, heavily populated with Florida State fans, went berserk. And so did the Florida State players. An excessive celebration penalty gave Nebraska good field position at their own 44 with 14 seconds left in the game. And here's where the somewhat strange game had an even stranger ending. Frazier hit tight end Trumaine Bell for a big gain on second down, but the stadium clock clicked down to zero. Florida State players celebrated, they dumped an ice bucket on coach Bobby Bowden, and they rushed the field to celebrate. Bowden went to shake coach Osborne's hand, but couldn't find him. That was because Osborne was busy speaking with officials. It turns out that the stadium clock differed from the official clock, which had one second remaining. The refs cleared the chaotic field and spotted the ball at Florida State's 34-yard line. And things got a little bit weirder. That mark proved inaccurate, as Bell actually had made it to the 29. After conferring with the press box, highly unusual in the days before video replay was in the rulebook, officials corrected the spot. Nebraska lined up for a game-winning, championship-winning field goal attempt, and it sailed wide left. The loss obscured an exceptional Nebraska defensive effort. Nebraska sacked quarterback Charlie Ward five times, 
after Florida State allowed only 10 sacks all season. Nebraska also held Florida State to 1 for 12 on third down conversions. The 1993 season magnified the problems of the poll in determining the national championship. Nebraska lost only once to Florida State, who lost only once to Notre Dame, who lost only once to Boston College, who lost to a West Virginia team that went undefeated in the regular season. Did you follow that? Imagine being a poll voter and having to sort that out. Auburn complicated matters by going undefeated, but they were on probation. Ultimately, voters decided that Florida State had the best overall season and won the national championship in both the AP and the coaches poll. Perhaps Florida State linebacker Derek Brooks, who later earned a spot in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, said it best. He said there would always be confusion around the national championship until there was some sort of a playoff. For Coach Osborne, with over 20 years of tremendous success as a head coach at this point, he still hadn't won a national championship. In 1982, 1983, and 1993, he literally stood inches away from championships. 83, we had a great team, undefeated team, and went for two points. At the end of the game to win, instead of settle for the tie, and uh, the pass was deflected just slightly by the defensive back. Maybe he's got one finger on the ball. Otherwise, we'd have converted that. So that was a very close call. In 93, we missed a field goal with one second left on the clock. And uh, that was the difference in that game for the state. So just a matter of uh, a very short distance or a little bit of luck one way or another. 1994 marked Tom Osborne's 22nd year as a head coach. Quarterback Tommy Frazier started his junior year in amazing fashion as Nebraska played West Virginia in the kickoff classic, matching two undefeated teams from the previous year's regular season. Tommy Frazier dashed for three touchdowns and passed for another in the 31 to nothing route. Nebraska's defense collected eight sacks and only gave up 89 yards for the entire game. That's 89 yards rushing and passing combined. That defines dominating defense. A few weeks later, Nebraska rushed for 480 yards against UCLA. That's right, 480 yards rushing. Lawrence Phillips accounted for 178 of those yards, and Nebraska won easily. At that point, Tommy Frazier's path to a Heisman Trophy looked as clear as his path to the end zone on many of his touchdown runs. He felt tightness in his calf, however, and doctors discovered blood clots. Frazier was likely lost for the entire season. Osborne subbed in Brooke Behringer at quarterback. Behringer scored three touchdowns in his first game, but then suffered a collapsed lung. Osborne turned to third-string quarterback Matt Terman to win a road game against previously unbeaten Kansas State in Week 7. There's really nothing you do. They just play the guy that's healthy. Tommy Frazier went down after three games. He had a blood clot the length of his leg, and they told us he couldn't play anymore, or probably wouldn't play anymore that season, might never play again. Then Brooke Beringer stepped in, and Brooke had two successive collapsed lungs, and they told us that if he had any more trouble, he, he was going to be done for the year. So he started Matt Terman at Kansas State, and Matt did a good job, and then Brooke came in in the latter part of the game, and we still won the game. They had a good team. Brooke began to hit his stride and got well, and we uh, went on the rest of the way undefeated, and Tommy did come back and played in the bowl game. So it was unusual in that we did have three quarterbacks that played, and we had a lot of resolve, had a good defense, and we were able to hang in there no matter what happened. The Cornhuskers climbed to the top of the polls and finished the regular season unbeaten and untied. That put the 12-0 Huskers matched up against the third-ranked Miami in the Orange Bowl. Osborne started Tommy Frazier at quarterback. Frazier hadn't played since September, and Osborne made clear that he'd sub in Brooke Behringer. Coach Osborne isn't famous for fiery speeches necessarily, but his 1995 Orange Bowl speeches etched spots in college football folklore. 
Before the game, he told his team that few players ever get to play for a national championship. He reminded his players that this was two years in a row and to make it count. He also predicted that Nebraska would pull away late in the game. Miami jumped out to a 10-0 lead by the end of the first quarter. Barringer subbed in and crafted a 60-yard touchdown drive, and it was 10-7 Miami at halftime. Coach Osborne's halftime speech was a stuff of legend. Seemingly channeling Gene Hackman and Hoosiers, Osborne gathered his players and kept hammering the message that Nebraska would get it done in the second half. He predicted that they would wear Miami down and pull away in the fourth quarter. He also made one more major point that he discusses with us now. There had been quite a bit of conversation during the first half of the game where um, some of the Miami players were doing a lot of talking. and I felt that at some point during the game that was going to result in something that would be a little bit more explosive and somebody would lose their cool and somebody would take a swing at somebody. And so I cautioned the players at halftime to make sure that it wasn't somebody from Nebraska that got involved in that. I thought that sooner or later it might be costly to Miami if we held our cool and kept the poise. And we did have a, uh, an incident. Miami scored an early third quarter touchdown and led 17-7. to So Nebraska was faced with a task to come back from 10 points down against the Miami Hurricanes, who had won 62 of their last 63 games in their home stadium, the Orange Bowl. Plus, Miami's defense had two future Pro Football Hall of Famers, Warren Sapp and Ray Lewis. But Coach Osborne's words soon came to life. A personal foul against Miami's offensive line produced no retaliation from Nebraska's prepared players, and the penalty put Miami back at their own five-yard line. Nebraska sacked Hurricane quarterback Frank Costa for a safety, and it was 17-9. Game momentum indeed started to change on a penalty. Early in the fourth quarter, Nebraska recovered a failed punt snap inside the Miami Five, but the opportunity was erased by an interception. Tommy Frazier returned to the game, and Nebraska later started a drive at the Miami 40. Nebraska needed only two plays to score, a brilliant 25-yard run by Lawrence Phillips and an inside handoff to Corey Schlesinger for a 15-yard touchdown. Nebraska made the two-point conversion and tied the game at 17. That year, a tie might not win the national championship. Penn State went undefeated in the regular season and were slated to face Oregon in the Rose Bowl the next day. Nebraska's defense rose to the occasion forcing their fourth consecutive three and out. A Tommy Frazier run put the Huskers on the Miami 28, and as Osborne had predicted, the Miami defense looked tired. Frazier took another run to the Miami 14 as the game clock slipped under three minutes. Corey Schlesinger then took another inside handoff and dashed in for the score. Nebraska led 24-17. Coach Osborne tells us why he thought the inside handoff would prove effective against Miami's defense. They were very good on defense. Ed Warren Sapp, who later, well, even at that point, is a great player and played well in the NFL. Ray Lewis was one of their linebackers and one of the all-time great linebackers. But they reacted very quickly to the ball. And so um, both of those plays were trap plays where um, the um, play appeared to be going wider than it really did. And... Um, both of them handoffs to the fullback. They were different traps. I think we were able to take advantage of their aggressiveness and their their uh, reaction to what appeared to be the flow of the ball. Nebraska won 24-17, giving Coach Osborne his first national championship as a head coach. The team visited the White House in March. President Clinton said he admired the team not only for winning the national championship, but by doing it the right way. Tom Osborne placed a high emphasis on character development as previously described with the theme of the week. By this point, he had also created the Unity Council. It was comprised of team leaders who met once a week. It built team unity and gave players a voice, even in certain disciplinary measures. Osborne talks about the Unity Council and two other elements he found important to winning the national championship 
and the future success the Cornhuskers would experience. I think our recruiting picked up to some degree. And I think we also uh, developed two uh, things like what was called the Unity Council. Our team was a little more focused, a little more unified. And so it wasn't all personnel. A lot of it was chemistry and team unity. And we had an experienced staff that stayed together for a long time. I think all those things worked to our advantage. And we just went through a, a five-year period that was very solid. Going into 1995, seven of Nebraska's assistants had at least 10 years with the Huskers. Over half of those assistants were in their 19th season or later. But on the field, only eight starters returned. Nebraska lost four starting offensive linemen, three of them to the NFL. The new offensive line proved itself early, though, as the Huskers ran for over 500 yards in week one against Oklahoma State. Nebraska also posted over 60 points in the win. Two weeks later, Nebraska scored 63 points against Arizona State in the first half. That's right, 63 points in the first half. Nebraska later faced three top 10 ranked opponents in a four-week stretch of the Big 8 conference schedule. Nebraska scored at least 40 points in each game, won each by at least three touchdowns, and never trailed for a single second. In fact, Nebraska only fell behind once the entire season, early in the first quarter against Washington State. Nebraska ended the season ranked number one. Florida also went through the season undefeated. And the Gators also defeated three top 10 teams in their schedule. That set up a showdown in the desert in the 1996 Fiesta Bowl to determine the 1995 national champion. Florida head coach Steve Spurrier won the 1966 Heisman Trophy playing quarterback at Florida. The Fiesta Bowl would feature two Heisman finalist quarterbacks, Nebraska's Tommy Frazier and Florida's Danny Werfel. Florida opened the game with a field goal, and Nebraska trailed for only the second time all season. But Nebraska immediately plowed back with a screen from Frazier to Phillips for a score. Florida blocked the extra point, and it was 6-3. The Gators led 10-6 by the end of the first quarter. And then the second quarter happened. Lawrence Phillips jigged 42 yards around a swarming Gator defense for a touchdown on the second play of the quarter. Nebraska led 13-10 at that point and never looked back. The defense crushed Florida quarterback Danny Werfel for a safety. Freshman running back Amon Green scored a Husker touchdown a few plays later. Nebraska then kicked two field goals and ran back an interception for a touchdown before the half even ended. A 29-point second-quarter outburst gave Nebraska a 35-10 halftime lead. Late in the third quarter, Tommy Frazier bolted through the Gator line for a 32-yard touchdown run. Nebraska had scored 36 unanswered points and owned a 42-10 lead against an undefeated opponent. The Gators followed up with a quick touchdown. And then Tommy Frazier responded with one of the most memorable plays in college football history. With seconds left in the third quarter, Frazier ran right from the Nebraska 25-yard line. A defender grabbed his jersey from behind, but Frazier's speed and power left that tackler in the dirt. Two more tacklers attempted to drag Frazier down from behind a few yards later, but to no avail. Four more tacklers met him from the front, but Frazier refused to go down. He pounded his way through the gang tackle and muscled his way through each and every defender. Then he slipped through yet another tackler on his way to the sideline before he dashed the remaining 50 yards to pay dirt. I strongly encourage you to look for that play online. If you haven't seen it before or haven't seen it in a long time, it's a truly remarkable run. On Florida's next possession, the Husker defense notched their seventh sack of the night and collected their third interception. When the final gun sounded, the scoreboard showed complete domination in Nebraska's favor. A final score of 62-24. to Nebraska turned the Florida running game into an algebra problem by swallowing the Gators for a negative 28 yards rushing. That's right, minus 28 yards rushing. The win gave Tom Osborne and Nebraska 
their second straight national championship. It also placed the 1995 Nebraska Cornhuskers on the short list of greatest teams of all time. The 95 team had several all Big 8 selections on both sides of the ball, and both NFL.com and Bleacher Report rate the 1995 Cornhuskers as the greatest college team ever, and they are not alone in their opinion among experts and fans. That season also lofted Tommy Frazier's legacy as one of the greatest college football players ever. Frazier played for the national championship his sophomore, junior, and senior years and was voted MVP of all three games. More importantly, his team won two of those games. Big change came Nebraska's way in 1996. The Big 8 Conference merged with four members of the Southwest Conference to form the Big 12 Conference. The Cornhuskers lost two games in 1996, but still ended the season with 11 wins, an Orange Bowl victory, and another high pole ranking finish. Enter 1997, Osborne's 25th season as head coach. It would be his last. Nebraska pocketed an impressive road win over second-ranked Washington early in the season, and then turned around and thrashed a 17th-ranked Kansas State team that would eventually win the Fiesta Bowl and finish in the top 10. Later that season, Nebraska outscored opponents 133-7 over a three-week span. Those three wins guaranteed Nebraska its 36th consecutive winning season. 36 straight winning seasons. And remember, a 500 season doesn't count in there. 36 straight winning seasons. The Huskers added four more after Osborne's retirement for a ridiculous total of 40 consecutive winning seasons. 25 of those seasons were under Tom Osborne's watch. And remember, his teams never won fewer than nine games in a season. That's how incredible of a program Coach Osborne built at Nebraska. Nebraska's toughest test in 1997 came at Missouri. Missouri led by seven with only one minute left in the game, and Nebraska started their final drive on their own 33 with no timeouts left. Quarterback Scott Frost drove Nebraska to the Tiger 12 with only seven seconds left. Frost rifled a pass to Shevin Wiggins at the goal line, a defensive back hit Wiggins and knocked the ball away. A second defender reached for the ball as Wiggins tried to kick the ball back to himself. The ball hit Wiggins' foot and looped end over end into the air. Husker freshman Matt Davison dove and caught the ball for a touchdown. Kicker Chris Brown booted the extra point and Nebraska went on to win in overtime. The miraculous TD became known as the flea kicker. Overtime was fairly new to college football, and the game marked Nebraska's first ever overtime appearance. On December 6, 1997, Nebraska ravaged Texas A&M in the Big 12 championship game. On December 10th, Coach Osborne announced his retirement effective after the bowl game. Nebraska held a 12-0 record and earned a berth in the Orange Bowl against Tennessee, led by senior quarterback Peyton Manning. Although Nebraska had a 12-0 record, Michigan held the number one spot in both the AP and coaches poll with an 11-0 record. 1997 would be the final year polls would ultimately decide the national championship without some sort of college football championship game or playoff. A lot of times the polls would split and two teams would each declare a title. Coach Osborne discusses split national championships in college football during his tenure as coach. I know there's always been controversy about national championships, and I'm glad we've now got a playoff and settled it on the field. So for the 1997 season, second-ranked Nebraska ended up playing third-ranked Tennessee in the 1998 Orange Bowl. Top-ranked Michigan played eighth-ranked Washington State in the Rose Bowl. Tennessee was a tough draw for a bowl game. Peyton Manning wasn't the only future NFL star in their lineup. Running back Jamal Lewis later rushed for over 2,000 yards in one season for the Baltimore Ravens and finished his NFL career with over 10,000 yards rushing. Defensive ends Sean Ellis and Leonard Little 
each played 12 years in the NFL, as did offensive tackle Chad Clifton. All three of those linemen went to Pro Bowls during their careers. Moreover, the Volunteers would win the national championship the next year by winning the first ever BCS championship game. It was the confident Cornhuskers who dominated this Orange Bowl matchup from the start, however. The defense forced three turnovers in the first half, and Nebraska jumped out to a 7-0 lead, then a 14-0 lead. They led 14-3 at halftime and kept pouring it on in the second half, starting out with an 80-yard touchdown drive to make it 21-3. Soon afterwards, they led 28-3. By the end of the third quarter, Nebraska led 35-9, Scott Frost later scored his third touchdown of the game to make it 42-9 as Nebraska completely dismantled the third-ranked team in the country. The final score was 42-17. And remember, that Tennessee team had a lot of future NFL stars like Peyton Manning on it. Michigan clipped 8th-ranked Washington State 21-16 in the Rose Bowl, and that left Michigan with a 12-0 record and Nebraska at 13-0 with no playoff to decide a victor. Ultimately, the coaches' poll decided Nebraska's 13 wins and unquestionable victory over Tennessee was good enough to vault the Huskers to the number one rating and the national championship in the final poll. The AP poll kept Michigan at number one, hence giving each team a share of the national championship. The Bowl Championship Series, better known as the BCS, started the next year to hopefully avoid such situations Although the BCS wasn't without criticism, especially when more than two teams finished the year undefeated. In 2014, a four-team college football playoff was developed. 1997, Tom Osborne's final year as Nebraska's head coach, closed one of the greatest coaching careers in NCAA history. He finished strong with three national championships in four years. Over those four years, Nebraska was a 49 and 2. Over his last five years, the Cornhuskers only lost one regular season game. And remember, Osborne narrowly missed winning three straight national championships and four out of five. It was only a missed field goal at the end of the Orange Bowl against Florida State that prevented that from happening. Those five years weren't the only amazing stretch in his career. You might remember he missed back to back championships in 1982 and 1983 by a last-second loss to Penn State and a nicked pass against Miami. From 1982 to 1984, Nebraska went 34-4. From 1986 to 1989, Nebraska held a 41-8 record over those four seasons. And here's another fact. Nebraska never once finished out of the AP Top 25 in Osborne's 25-year tenure. In fact, Nebraska finished in the top 15, 24 out of those 25 years. They finished in the top 10 in 18 of those 25 years. That's 72% of the time throughout Osborne's 25 years as head coach that Nebraska finished in the top 10. With the high level of success that Coach Osborne had at Nebraska, you can probably guess that he was offered other opportunities. There were stories about perhaps the University of Colorado trying to gain him as a head coach, even the NFL's Seattle Seahawks pursuing a possibility of hiring Tom Osborne. I asked him about those opportunities and why he chose to stay at Nebraska. Yeah, they're both true. But I just felt I recruited some players and uh, told them that uh, this was a good place. I didn't know quite how to go back on that word. So I didn't know how to tell the players I was leaving very well. And so I stayed here. After retiring from coaching, Coach Osborne was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives and served three terms. He later ran for governor of Nebraska and lost by a slim margin. He then served as Nebraska's athletic director from October 2007 until January of 2013. During that time, Nebraska migrated from the Big 12 Conference to the Big 10 Conference. Tom Osborne won a lot of football games and provided countless memories for Nebraska fans. Don't forget, he earned a PhD as well. Osborne, however, keeps things in perspective. 
He knows that winning and accomplishments are important, but he also knows that building character and providing opportunities mean even more. In 1991, he and his wife founded the Teammates Mentoring Program and are still actively involved. Coach Osborne discusses the inspiration behind the Teammates Mentoring Program. There some changes in the family structure and we're getting more and more kids who were without fathers. So as a result, we decided that we could do something about it and uh, ask our players if they would turn to be a mentor to some boys in Lincoln Public Schools and 22 hands went up and so we paired them up and time went by. 21 of the 22 graduated on time and 18 went on to college. So we thought, well, maybe there's something to this and expanded the program and today we were mentoring about 8,700 kids in 169 school districts. So it's growing a great deal. You can learn more about Coach Osborne and the impact of the Teammates Mentoring Program at teammates.org. That's teammates.org. Coach Osborne created a college football legacy at Nebraska, establishing one of the greatest program runs in NCAA history. His impact off the field appears more important to him, however. On the cover of Osborne's book, Beyond the Final Score, There's More to Life Than the Game, Investor Warren Buffett is quoted as saying, quote, Tom Osborne improves the life of everyone he encounters. As a head coach, he worked to improve the men who wore the scarlet and cream uniform of Nebraska, not only as players, but as individuals. While in Congress, he served the people of Nebraska in other ways, working on legislation to help farmers and students. Today, he continues to impact the lives of others through the teammates' mentoring program. Coach Osborne wasn't the only man that the great Bob Devaney recommended for a coaching job. He recommended Marv Levy for an NCAA head coaching job in the early 1960s that helped launch Levy's Hall of Fame career. Coach Levy will share that story and much more in a future episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. A special thanks to Coach Osborne for interviewing for this podcast. Please listen to part one of Tom Osborne and Nebraska football if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. The Game Before the Money podcast is brought to you by nbautographs.com and our transcription partner, sonics.ai. That's S-O-N-I-X dot A-I. Thank you.